As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Show. It is Friday, May 6th. Derek Van Riper here with El Melchior live on YouTube. So be sure to drop us a question if you're watching us live and you have a waiver question for this week. It is a great weekend for the waiver wire. Perhaps the closest thing we will get to a fab of Palooza. So if you've been holding on to some cash, you got some interesting players that you want to pick up, this would be a week to consider making a few more moves than usual, Al. And we talked about it a little bit on the Prospect Show earlier in the week. There were a few highly performing AAA players on the brink of coming up. I think at that point we knew MJ Melendez had been called up by the Royals. Jose Miranda was already up for the Twins. And in the time since we spoke on that show on Tuesday, Carlos Correa suffered a broken finger, which has led the Twins to also bring up Royce Lewis. So a lot of twins talk as we get started today, but a few prospects right off the cuff that are really interesting Uh, in situations where both Jose Miranda and Royce Lewis are available. I'm curious to know how you're prioritizing them, especially in leagues where we have a free agent bidding process. Well, I think now that we know that that Lewis is coming up, or in fact, I think he has been called up now. Um, in most cases, I think I'd be prioritizing Lewis, uh, just because of the, the stolen base appeal. Um, I think, I mean, Miranda, I'm sure is just up to stay now, unless he's really horrible. So it, it depends on need. If I'm set with stolen bases, I, you know, there is a scenario where I think Miranda has a little bit more appeal, but in the proverbial vacuum, it is, uh, it is Royce Lewis for me. Yeah. We've seen about a, a week's worth of playing time. So far from Miranda, I think the question I have is, you know, with Royce Lewis, does he stick as a super utility guy if he plays well? You know, once Correa's back and healthy, that's obviously Correa's spot. But we've seen Lewis move around back in the Arizona Fall League a couple of years ago. So I think there's at least a path that that could open up for him because of his defensive versatility. I think third base has been a bit of an unsettled situation for the Twins this season. Gio Urshela plays there quite a bit. He's more gloved than bat right now, so maybe they'd be willing to move him around or use him as more of a utility guy. Um, there's just a lot of fluidity here. I think there's also some questions about Miguel Sano. You know, once he's eventually back, what's his role going to look like? And it sounds like it's going to be a pretty lengthy absence for him in the wake of uh, knee surgery. So there's playing time to be had, and this is a pretty good offense. So the value for these guys, both Lewis and Miranda, could end up being shallow league value sooner rather than later. But I'm with you. I do prefer Lewis of the two. Um, I do think the the bidding is probably going to be, for Lewis, north of a 15% of a full budget. I mean, I think it's going to be a significant bid that it takes to get him because people have been sitting on money. They don't necessarily see a lot of other great prospects they're going to wait for. A lot of the pitchers that we talked about on Tuesday that's probably going to be the next big wave of call-ups. Names like Max Meyer and Grayson Rodriguez, Matthew Libertor, those types of players are going to be the other big-ticket players in the weeks ahead. Uh, Miranda already up to 41% rostered on CBS, Lewis at 28%. But they're not the only prospects getting the opportunity to play at the big league level right now. MJ Melendez is up for the Royals, Al, and I'm just wondering, how much playing time are you expecting for him, because when we looked at this team at the beginning of the season, 
the crowding they had behind the plate with Sal Perez coming off of a career year uh, at first base with Carlos Santana there on the final year of his contract. It, it led to some questions about how you could make the pieces fit with guys like Melendez, who's certainly a catcher, maybe could play other spots, and then even Nick Prado and Vinny Pasquantino, who are, are not part of the mix right now. Well, right now, I, I think there's a lot of playing time to be had for Melendez and what we've seen you know, in just a couple of games so far, as you, you saw uh, Melendez start behind the plate with one game and, and uh, Perez DH, and then they flipped. And I'm not saying that we're going to see them, you know, doing that every day and that, that uh, obviously Sal Perez is an everyday player, but Melendez, I don't expect him to be an everyday player, but I think he can get pretty close. I think the issue is, like you said, that the roster could get more crowded when the Royals start calling up other prospects. Uh, and at that point, maybe a little later in the season, I don't. I would be shocked if they just let Carlos Santana go this early in the season. But maybe we get to midseason, and that that's what happens. Uh, so I'm not too worried about that far ahead. Uh, but I think for the next few weeks, I would expect Melendez to get you know four or five starts at least every week. Yeah, as advertised, a lot of hard contact so far for MJ Melendez. Just a handful of bad ball events. I think he's got six in the brief time that he's been with the Royals. Four hard hit balls over 95 miles per hour. Uh, given the power he showed last year in the minors, not really a big surprise. I think it's more of a question of Lewis versus Melendez if you're looking at all of the hitters that are at the top of, of the list this weekend. Uh, in a two-catcher league especially, I could see Melendez carrying a very similar 15 plus percent sort of bid. The question for me is how interested do you want to be in a single catcher league? Is he viable? Is there enough ceiling and playing time to justify chasing Melendez in a 10 or 12 team league where you only have to start one catcher? I really think there is. And in the weekly waiver report that I do for the athletic, uh, that's, you know, I put a recommended bid in there. Now I didn't go 15% on anybody in this group, partly because of the volume uh, but obviously people can prioritize, uh, you know, based on their needs and their preferences. But um, with Melendez, I did put a, you know, recommend a bid for, for 10 and 12 teamers because I think he, given the power potential he has, he just automatically cracks that, you know, like second tier uh, below, uh, the, the, you know, the top three or so. Um, because again, there's the, we talk about it almost every week. There's a huge drop off after that. And I would put Melendez on the, the top side of that line. A few other names that are, are relatively new to their big league rosters. Juan Yepes getting a chance to play in St. Louis. I'm just curious how you think they're going to handle his situation because it seems like one of Dylan Carlson or Corey Dickerson has to play a lot less if Yepes is going to get a true opportunity to play close to every day in St. Louis right now. I think it is some of both of those players losing playing time, but probably Dickerson much more. And again, being the the big side of the platoon, or he had been. And uh, we, we've seen that with Yepes so far, uh, starting in place of Dickerson in, in one game and uh, in place of Carlson in another. So maybe Carlson at this point is just rele- relegated uh, to facing righties. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine that it would be a strict platoon, but uh, I, I think he does lose a little bit of playing time. And I think Corey Dickerson, I, I just, I can't conceive of the, the situation where he's anything but a bench player at this point. Doesn't make any sense. Jaron Duran is supposed to be back up for the Red Sox. I know there's some pretty nasty weather throughout the Northeast, so it might not be on Friday, depending on how that all plays out. But he's coming back up. And I think the thing the Red Sox have have done that's really surprised me so far this year, Al, is they've leaned on Jackie Bradley Jr. a lot more than I thought they would. I thought JBJ was going to be more of a a true fourth outfielder to begin the season. I thought they brought him back just to have a great defensive center fielder on the bench. And he started 21 of 26 games for the Red Sox so far. I think you can look at his offensive production and very easily tell yourself a story that the fourth outfielder role is probably in play if Duran comes up and hits. Is Duran going to be stuck on the big side of platoon at this point? Is that kind of the the short-term expectation for how they'd use him? I think that's maybe the the worst-case scenario, again, unless he just really flails. Uh, You know, we could come up with our own stories about what the Red Sox were thinking here, but I had read uh, a report about this call-up of Duran and somebody in the organization saying that, you know, they really wanted to give him some run at, at AAA just to get comfortable and 
they weren't looking to rush him or and they're not looking to rush Tristan Casas. Maybe that's a signal that we see Casas soon too. Uh, but you know, they could have signed Bradley and said, okay, let's let's see if how this rolls. Maybe he'll produce more than, than we're expecting. He wound up, even when you include the defensive aspect of his game, still wound up being a, uh, a literal replacement level player up to this point. So I feel like there's very little, if anything, to lose for the Red Sox to just turn Duran loose and... Um, Maybe let him play literally every day. Yeah, could be a possibility for him. I look at the AAA numbers, not surprisingly, very good again in the brief time that he was there this season. Seven for eight as a base dealer in 15 games. You go back to last season when he opened the year at AAA. He was 16 for 19 on the base pass in 60 games, popped 16 home runs during that time as well. Uh, a lot has been made of, of adjustments he made during the 2020 season at the alternate site to his swing to unlock some more power. We haven't seen it at the highest level yet. He slugged 336 during his debut last year in 33 games with the Red Sox. But the fact that he was doing it again, and it's not the PCL, gives me some hope that we can see a step forward from Duran. Um, I also think he's one of those guys, like the 35% K rate that he posted last year was a big surprise. Even... With all the caveats, knowing that the jump from AAA to the big leagues might be as big right now as it's ever been, uh, I think there are a few ways it can go right. Even if he's stuck in the bottom third of the order, if he strikes out a little less, walks a little more, you're probably getting some cheap steals. Where does the bid go for you with Duran? I mean, if we're assuming a bottom third of the order lineup placement for now, but the possibility of some speed and a little bit of power, it's not a bad player to take a chance on, at least in, in 15 team leagues, but possibly eventually in 12s. Yeah, but I'm not I'm not a going I'm not going to go as aggressively for Duran as I would for Yepes or as I would for Royce Lewis. Uh partly what you just alluded to, maybe some cheap steals. He had three attempts with the Red Sox last year. And that was after, you know, stealing a, a healthy number of bases in AAA. So maybe I read too much into that, but it does make me worry that that's not going to translate in him getting the green light often enough. Uh, and I don't know how much else is going to translate to make up for that. So I, I would still bid uh, probably up to 20% on him in 12 teamers, uh, probably looking at more like 60% in 15 teamers, but I'm not certainly not going on the level that you were talking about before for some players like, like Yepes and, and Lewis uh, and you're know, talking about double digit percentages. Let's move on to a few other players that are available in some shallow leagues and probably shouldn't be available in those formats. A few names that have really caught my eye. Rowdy Telez, only rostered in 62% of CBS leagues. Looking at the playing time in Milwaukee, Al, Keston Hira occasionally plays second base against the lefty, so we've seen Rowdy move away from being in a strict platoon over the course of this season. Of course, mashing so far. I had a huge game earlier this week in that blowout win over the Reds. Is there any reason why Rowdy Telez shouldn't be more like 90-plus percent rostered on CBS right now, given the way the Brewers are using him and, and what he's doing with that opportunity? I don't really think so because, yeah, that's been the reason in the past that he was in strict platoons. The playing time situation wasn't wasn't secure. And uh, at least I, I don't have any numbers in front of me to back this up. My perception, maybe because of getting him in the past and him uh, not, not uh, performing the way I expected, but maybe being a streaky hitter. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is a month into the season with him producing at a really high level. So I think at this point, other than maybe the very shallowest of leagues, uh, Tellez needs to be picked up this weekend. Yeah, 50% hard hit rate early on this season for Rowdy Tellez. And that lineup looking a little bit better than it did a season ago, even if there are still a few flaws that need to be fixed in Milwaukee uh, between now and possibly making a playoff run. I was surprised to see Brendan Rodgers popping up on the wire in a few leagues, realizing he's had a pretty rough first month, but he's showing some signs of breaking out of it. I think the thing for me with Brendan Rodgers is that he's got a path to a higher spot in the order in Colorado as soon as he heats up. Like This is not a situation where you're looking at him and saying, the offense is loaded. How could he possibly crack the top three or the middle third? I think it's just a matter of time before Rodgers is in that prominent spot again. So yeah, the question is, is he going to be able to sustain uh, enough production to be picked up where he isn't already heavily rostered? And you're right. Yes. Yeah, since uh, coming back, he's uh, had a, he's had a few two hit games. So we're certainly seeing uh, more hitting from Rogers than we saw earlier in the season. Uh, the, you know, the thing is, if you've got a need at second base, I could see where Rogers 
might be worth a flyer. Um, again, a pretty low bid, but just, you know, take a chance on them. Shortstop is so deep that if that's your need, I don't really see the point shortstop or middle infield, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm a little skeptical, but I, I think again, if you have a need at second base, that maybe Rogers is worth uh, trying out for a couple weeks. I've got a speed centric toss up for you. I'm really curious what you do in a situation where, and these exist, where Ramon Laureano, who's rostered in just over 40% of CBS leagues, Harrison Bader, similarly rostered, and Jaron Duran, who's rostered about half as much as those two guys. If all three were available, you're playing the speed game. Bader's been running quite a bit to begin this season, has a 92% playing time share just in terms of games started so far this year, and he's starting to creep up in the order. Dylan Carlson sinking. Harrison Bader rising just a little bit. How would you stack up those three outfielders in your quest to find some speed for one of your last outfield spots? Because of the stat that I mentioned a few minutes ago about uh, Duran only getting three attempts last year, I would put him third out of these three. Bader would actually be a pretty clear number one priority for me. Uh, as you mentioned, the playing time for him, the volume of steals, uh, batting in a, a, a good uh, context for run production. Loriano, obviously him just being in that ace lineup. Granted, he'll be in a prominent place in it, but being in that A's lineup is going to be something that's going to depress its val- his value all by itself. So that would be my order. Bader, Loriano, and then uh, Jaron Duran. That Ramon Loriano suspension, by the way, wraps up this weekend. So definitely the time to go out and get him if he happens to be available in your league. Uh, I also included Mike Moustakis as part of the shallow bat. And shallows is it's really open to interpretation. I think we're usually talking about 12 teams or less for a lot of these players in terms of the, the interest level. Moustakis is probably more for 15 teams and deeper, so kind of bridges the gap to our other group of hitters that we're going to talk about. He lost some time on the IL with a biceps injury, but he started every game but one during his time that he's been healthy so far this season. He's moved up in the order with Joey Votto on the IL, among others, for the Reds. They are just decimated with injuries right now. I still think there's a chance there's one more productive year coming from Mike Moustakis on this dismal Reds team, thanks to a skill set that ages reasonably well at the plate and a park, of course, that boosts up homers. Yeah, and for that reason, the 115 team league where I do have Moustakis, I've been hanging on with him. I certainly have considered him as a cut the last couple of weeks, but I do uh, have been uh, hanging on with Mike Moustakis there. So if he is out there and somebody else cut him, then I think he's a reasonable pickup and and definitely can add him in that uh, affordable category as well. 20% rostered on CBS. So yeah, definitely falls more into that 14 plus team mixed league category at this point. Uh, Joker writes in, Tommy Pham recently hit the wire in his league, and he's been underwhelmed by Brandon Marsh's projections from the Bat-X. Would it be a good idea to pick up Pham and drop Marsh, especially if Joker's looking for steals? That's a tough one. Uh, And Pham, by the way, was going to be in the column this week, but it was so loaded with players that he didn't quite make the cut. So I I do recommend picking up Pham. Dropping Marsh is kind of tough, though. I'd have to say no. Uh, I got have to think there's probably somebody else on the roster that you could lose to to pick up fam. It is tough because I think with Brandon Marsh, the Joe Adele demotion has stabilized his playing time quite a bit, and we're seeing the signs of, of power growth that we're hoping for. I mean, coming off of shoulder surgery last season, Brandon Marsh only slugged 356. Um, K rate's still a little high at 35, percent but that Angels lineup is really good, so the counting stats should be there. You get the power, you get a little bit of speed. If it were the only move I could make, and I'm assuming it's it's a short list of possible cuts, I think I would take Fam over Marsh. It's not a move that you have to make, but it's a move that you can make. Uh, I think the question is, how much do we trust Fam to keep on running? Do we think he's still going to get to the 15 to 20 steal range this season? If we think there's some reason that he's going to fall short, then that could swing it too, given the categorical needs here. But... Uh, very close. Tommy Pham, I think, is one of the most difficult players for me to analyze because projections tend to like him a lot, and he tends to underperform those projections just slightly, but yet you keep getting pulled in because he does a lot of things really well. He controls the zone well. He doesn't chase a lot of pitches outside the strike zone, and being in Cincinnati, just like Mustakis, it's a park that's going to boost up his power. He's going to take advantage of that probably for the next two and a half months or so before there's a possible trade to some other team. But even that might bring good counting stats because it might be a regular spot with a contending team. 
uh, if he's playing well. So thanks for that question, Joker. Hopefully that was helpful, even though we were split on what we would do in that situation. Um, another question here from Dusty. Would you pick up Luis Urias in and drop Nelson Cruz in a 10-team head-to-head categorical league without a keeper element? Ah, geez. This is, yeah. I've got to say no again here just because it feels one month in as miserable as he's been. It, it feels a little early to be dropping Nelson Cruz. Also tough, though, because we're, we're seeing a few cracks in the profile. The plate skills still look really good. I think that's the most encouraging thing of all. Just two homers through 24 games. Power is just not there from a result standpoint. And even the underlying numbers have taken a hit. Hard hit rate down at 40%. It's the lowest it's been for Nelson Cruz in the entire StatCast era. Not a surprise. You lower the hard hit rate. The barrel rate comes down, too. This is the first time he's had a barrel rate. That's not double digits. He's at 8% so far this season. So that's another move. Just like the last question, I'm looking at it. And I'm saying, I think you could do it. I don't think you have to do it. I think Urias is a big part of that Brewers offense. I think he's going to play as much as he can possibly play, as long as there's no setbacks with his hamstring. So maybe they're going to be a little careful with him in the short term. But I think longer term, he could be a max volume player for us. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get to a few more deep league bats, and I want to talk about Edward Olivares. Is it happening, Al? He's 11% rostered on CBS. He has let off three consecutive games this week, and even starting against right-handed pitching. That was my concern. We talked about him last week. They had brought up Kyle Isbell as well. If they were going to go the platoon route, that could work against Olivares. It doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. No, not based on the past week or so. Very regular play for Olivares. And as you mentioned, leading off the last three games, or actually, sorry, last four games. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I I just, I love this situation. That was always the thing that you and I have brought up whenever we talked about Olivares. Olivares is, is he going to stay up and is he going to play regularly? And so it's an opportunity for, for him to maybe compile some stolen bases, for him to actually make a difference in terms of batting average. I'm not sure... I'm buying into the power that we saw from Alvarez at AAA last year because that's generally not been you know one of the parts of his profile that's really stood out. But you know, batting average, runs, and uh, and steals that's that's a pretty nice package right there. Maybe not enough for me to be uh, bidding anything in twelve teamers, but anything deeper, yeah, I, I'm going to try to be adding Alvarez this weekend. Is there that much of a difference between Olivares and Jaron Duran? That's a real good question. I think Duran actually has the clearer path to sustained playing time. Um, maybe I trust the power from Duran just a little bit more, which is not to say that I trust it entirely. Uh, but no, I think you're right. I think there's not that much difference. Because the hit tool, I mean, the K rates have been low, even in the the up and down nature of the playing time that Olivares has had so far, and he's got that prominent spot in the lineup for now. I would agree the long-term assessment, it's easier to see Duran sticking, and maybe we still have some some hangover effect from the the up-and-down nature of Olivares' time with the, the Royals last year. But if he's still out there in your league, I think he's kind of pushing his way into that possible 12-team league consideration with this role being a leadoff role and with those opportunities coming against righties. 
Um, I also think Taylor Walls is pretty interesting. He's getting a lot of opportunities for the Rays, only 7% rostered on CBS. Nine consecutive starts as we enter the weekend. I know Wander was a little bit dinged up during that span, but Walls plays multiple infield spots. He already qualifies at shortstop and third base in most leagues, and it seems like if everyone's healthy and everyone who's usually in the lineup plays, Walls is the primary third baseman, even though they like to mix and match so many spots in Tampa Bay. Yeah, you know, just uh, gives you a little little bit of everything. And if the playing time is there, it's, it's it's a great context. I guess because he, to me, doesn't stand out in any one particular way that he's all either not somebody I've been, been bidding on or he's far down on the contingency list. And honestly, this week, I don't think I'm going to be alone in, in stacking him way down that list too, just because of, of all the options. But He'd be a player that I'd be happy if I do miss out on the big names and I, I get him for a, a really nominal bid. I, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, I think the glove drives the playing time. He's got a pretty good eye at the plate. We've seen a lot of walks during his big league career. I'm curious to see if he can get the K rate down a little bit more. You would generally expect that for a guy that doesn't swing many pitches outside the strike zone. Probably a cheap speed play that can run into a little bit of power, and that versatility is always nice if you're in a situation where you can make multiple changes per week. I got to bring up a Nando guy today, Yadiel Hernandez. He's been talking about him for three years, probably, on Under the Radar, and I've always worried there just wasn't enough playing time. Universal DH helps a lot, and it seems like they're cooling on Lane Thomas quite a bit, too. Now we're seeing Yadiel Hernandez really kind of take over a spot in the middle third of the order. He started nine of the last 10 games uh, entering the weekend. So this looks like a great call on Nando's part. And I'm curious if you think it's sustainable. I do just because uh, you you look at the Nationals roster and, you know, it's not really shocking to see that Lane Thomas would go back to a fourth outfielder's role. That opens up this uh, opportunity longer term for Hernandez. And I mean, to me, his appeal is all about that opportunity for playing time and him hitting right in the middle of that order, because I don't expect him to be a big power source, but I would expect that he'll hit for average and get on base enough that hitting in that part of the lineup that you'll get some run production along with the batting average. Yeah, I I just, I, I like this setup a lot. I know you're probably, you're not really expecting much in terms of speed. He's got, Four steals in 142 big league games. It's kind of selectively picks his spots a little bit. It's fine. If he's going to hit for a good average and provide power and run production, which he can do from that spot, I think it's a, a top-heavy lineup, as we've said many times before, for the Nationals. If you're going to hit in the heart of that order, good things can absolutely happen. So happy for Nando that he appears to be right about Yadiel Hernandez getting this opportunity with the Nats right now. How about Brandon Drury? Didn't people used to like Brandon Drury? <laughs> like he's getting a chance right now in Cincinnati, and part of it's all the injuries, but part of it's that they kind of like what he's doing, I think, with the underlying numbers. If you take a look at some of the production to this point, it's a K rate just over 20%. It's actually slightly better than a league average line, even though it's a 231 average with a 271 OBP. He has popped four home runs so far. In deeper leagues, maybe you're looking at the schedule and trying to find times when he's going to be at home for a couple of series, but I'm curious if you think you can find excess playing time from Drury on a bad team and a guy that's also moving up in that order. Well, you know, again, that opportunity does, that's really what what gives him some value right now. And I think that his power is legit and that gets amplified by the, the games he plays at, at Great American Ballpark. I don't know that he would necessarily just be a homestand streamer for me though. I mean, I think he does have some legit power. And my question is just one of, you know, what if you you do have the full complement there in Cincinnati? What happens to Drury's playing time? I think he's got an opportunity now to say something about that, but I, I think that you can get him with a small enough bid that you don't really have to worry about that. If you just wind up you know playing him for the next three weeks or so, he might give you enough to actually help you out over the you know the the, the course of the season. But um, you know, like I said, maybe there's an opportunity he plays his way into a, a longer standing role. Yeah, I'm definitely thinking about him as a a cheap contingency option in 15-team leagues where available this weekend. And then we go back to Kevin Smith, who was pretty popular on this show, I think probably the first week of the season. He, of course, had a brief stint on the IL, is now back, and has started four of the last five games since coming off of the injured list. 
lots of things can happen here too. I mean, the A's could just say we're done with Elvis Andrews and move on, open up another spot there. So the playing time could max out, hasn't maxed out yet. Interesting skills. Kevin Smith, among the players we've talked about on this episode, who in very limited time has a hard hit percentage above 50% this season. So I want to see more of what he can do. And as you pointed out, it's a great schedule for the A's this week. Eight games on the schedule. That gives me a little extra urgency to to bid on Smith this week because uh, that context is, as I've said before, and I'll probably say again before the end of the episode, it's not great, but the playing time, if not every day, it should be there enough that in this eight-game week, I think he probably will start at least six times. And so, yeah, he's a good streamer for this coming week. Uh, He's hit well, by the way, since coming back. So we're seeing more of the Kevin Smith that we were getting a little excited about back in week one. We're seeing that now. Uh, The playing time is there, at least in the short term. Good week. So at minimum, a really, really nice streamer. If I could get a Kevin Smith jersey and know that absolutely 0% of the proceeds went to John Fisher, I would consider doing it. But I don't think such a jersey exists, at least. (laughs) Unfortunately. Not in stores nearby, uh, unfortunately. Let's move on to some pitchers. I am surprised. We're going to get a couple Shadow League guys in first. I am surprised that Jamison Tyone is only rostered in two-thirds of CBS leagues. What am I missing? Like, What's preventing him from being rostered everywhere at this point? That is the question that I ask in this week's waiver column. I was shocked at the roster rate. And it's not very high on, on ESPN either. So, uh, I mean, the only explanation really is just that so far he's not been that much of a help in strikeouts. But, you know, that that's never really been the case for Jamison Tyon. But he's, uh, for much of his career so far, so far, found ways to have value without being a big strikeout pitcher. And initially it looked like, and he may still have a two-start week this, com- the, uh, this coming up week uh, with the Yankees being rained out on Friday night. I don't know how that might affect the rotation. I believe there's a doubleheader on sat on Sunday. So Monday forward, it might just be as, as uh, you know, as it looked originally. And he's an absolute must add. He's an absolute must add period, but <laughs> with two starts, uh, you know, there's extra reason to maybe, you know, go that extra 1% or whatever on, on Tyone. Yeah, I mean, it's probably mostly 10-team leagues where he's available, but if you're playing in a league like that and he's sitting out there, you're talking about a guy that, even if he only goes five, he's got a great bullpen protecting his leads. He's got one of the league's best offenses providing run support. Tyon's changed the shape on some of his pitches. The control's been very good. He's done a good job keeping the ball in the yard. And I think part of the reason the K rate and the swinging strike rate are down a little bit, if you've made five starts this season and two have come against the Blue Jays, you've been challenged. You've faced a team that doesn't strike out a lot. Uh, he still has I think, 10Ks and 11 innings against the Jays this year. So there's reason to believe that there's uh, one more level from Tyon. I love the control. has been as good as it's been, too. It's just the, the skill that if he keeps that where it is, the Ks don't matter because there's nobody on base. So you're going to get a great whip from a player like that. And I would just add that his roster rates indicate to me that he actually is out there in a lot of 12-teamers. So if you are in a 12-team league and you need a pitching upgrade, and most of us do, uh, at least go check it out. Don't don't assume that Tyone is, is already rostered. The other guy that's out there in a similar number of leagues is Garrett Whitlock. We just saw him make a great start against the Angels this week, and I I really didn't know what to expect from him as a starter. I certainly liked what he was doing in a relief role a season ago. Nine Ks last time out against the Angels. Uh, two runs on two hits over five innings. It seems like he is stretched out pretty well. It was only 17 batters faced, so... Maybe he's not quite like a regular starter yet, but based on the skills we're seeing, I have to imagine that interest in him is going to spike even in these more shallow formats where he's still somehow available. My only hope is that uh, people will look at the Red Sox reticence to commit to him as a starter. And I read a piece just today uh, where uh, it stated that the team was not sure if they weren't going to put him back in the bullpen. And if enough people are aware of that, uh, you know, maybe you could take advantage of it, not bid as much as, as you would on some of the other players that we're talking about here and get him. And if he does go back in the bullpen, I mean, it's going to be for a high leverage role. It doesn't make any sense otherwise. So either you get somebody who so far has been outstanding as a starter or get somebody who might actually pick up some saves. So I think it's pretty much guaranteed a win-win. 
yeah, I mean, I just I know those guys in, in a lot of like, deeper competitive leagues, long gone, won't be available, but just thought they were really interesting pitchers that could do a lot even in shallow leagues. So scoop them up if you're in a format like that and they're available. I saw that you had George Kirby listed on our rundown for today. Matt Brash went down. So if you've got Matt Brash in a redraft league, especially a redraft mix league, he's probably someone you're thinking about dropping this weekend. Is George Kirby possibly uh, a threat to replace Brash in the near future? He has not pitched at AAA yet, but being that they have a they have an affiliate in the PCL, I don't think it's impossible that George Kirby could skip AAA or spend very little time there before eventually debuting at the big league level. Well, Michael Beller and I talked to Corey Brock on Thursday on this very show, and Corey intimated that that Kirby could skip AAA. And uh, he, um, you know, he basically insinuated, and I've seen this in some written reports since, that uh, Kirby's on a on a short list of uh, pitchers that are being considered right now. So um, that, yeah, I mean, I think now is the time. I mean, and if he's not the replacement for Matt Brash, then I, I think the fact that he's apparently under consideration to be means we're going to see Kirby. Sooner rather than later, so yeah, I think this is this is the time to to put the bid on him. And yeah, I think that Brash is absolutely droppable, not only because of the performance, not only because he's being sent down, but he's going down uh, to prepare to be a reliever. So uh, I think that Brash's twenty twenty two value at this point is is going to be nil going forward. It was fun while it lasted. It was fun when he broke <laughs> Eno's pitching model. It was fun to think about what might be. And, and maybe someday down the road, he'll get another chance as a starter. Maybe the command will improve eventually. But uh, interesting that they're already moving him into the bullpen with that demotion to Tacoma. Uh, let's talk about Josh Winder again. I think he came up on the show last week. He's getting a temporary opportunity in the Twins rotation. Sonny Gray nearing a return. Bailey Ober down for a little bit. Dylan Bundy just went on the COVID list. And I would say... You know, Chris Archer is not necessarily locked in to a rotation spot. There, there's some good in the profile, but there's definitely some underperformance happening there too. So I think it's a critical stretch for Archer to secure his place in that Twins rotation. Are you taking a chance on Josh Winder now amidst all of this chaos in that Minnesota rotation? Deeper league, I am, and, and already have in some. But I, I think, yeah, if he's still out there in your 15-teamers this weekend, I think he, he's worth... He's worth a flyer. I wouldn't, you know, go more than maybe about two percent, partly because of the the lack of job security there. I mean, you could have all three of those starters that you mentioned possibly making starts this week over uh, Bundy and Gray, and um, you know, where where does where does that leave room for uh, for Josh Winder? But I, I think that he's good enough that maybe he somehow does stick, like you say, maybe with a, a demotion to the bullpen for Chris Archer. But I also think that the ceiling isn't so high. For 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 uh, for Winder that you know you, you got to break the bank or, or that you need to pursue him in twelve teamers. So I think there, he, there's this gray area uh, where he fits in that you, you make an effort to get him, but if if you can't, you, you can move on. I think it's going to take more than a min bid to do it, but you don't have to go overboard. Probably three yeah. percent of a budget yeah. will be enough, and you might be surprised that what you get, depending on how things break with some of those other starters. Just not impossible that he pitches well enough to carve out a spot. They could also be a team that goes to a six-man rotation for a little while, too. I think they're built for it in a lot of ways with some of the injury risk that they've got cooked into that core group of starters. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's get to a few shallow league streamers. Two names that I didn't expect to put in this group are on my mind right now. Glenn Otto 
home against the Royals. Only 10% rostered on CBS. Again, I, I think in, in deeper formats, 15 teams and deeper, I think he's been scooped up already. If he hasn't been, he's absolutely viable in those leagues. I think he's viable for the upcoming week against the Royals. Even though the Royals don't strike out much, they're tied for 28th in WRC+. Plus as a team. So this seems like a matchup where you can you can really take advantage of until some of those young players start to come up and, and you know maybe MJ Melendez and Wit heats up and you get a few of those guys going maybe Nick Prado or Pasquantino comes up later in the season too and you get a good core in place until that happens though I think you got to take advantage of this Kansas City lineup. No, I agree. I agree. Um at this stage, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm look, looking at strikeout rates and, and WOBA or WRC plus, but I'm looking at ISO because it's early enough that some teams overall they're not performing well uh, because of just some some noise on on BABIP rates and things like that. But I mean, if a team can't really do much damage with extra base hits, I feel like they're safe to stream against. So I, I do like the Royals for streaming against. And, you know, Otto's a pitcher who, I mean, he's shown the ability to get strikeouts. So maybe he can do it against a team that's not as prone to uh, to swing and miss. Now, here's one. Do you think I've miscast Tyler Wells as a possible shallow league streamer? He's only 4% rostered on CBS. He's on the road against the Tigers. The Tigers do have an above average K rate as a team, 24.3% entering play on Friday. They're tied with the Pirates in Team WRC+, tied for 24th in Major League Baseball. So... I don't think we would disagree about the Tigers being a streaming target. I think we could disagree about whether or not you want to use Tyler Wells in a 10-team league where you're kind of churning through the wire for spots. I'm not, yeah, I'm not that intrigued. I mean, I get what you're saying about the the matchup. And maybe it's just a question of just ratcheting him down to more of a, a deep league streamer. I think there's some appeal there. But in shallow leagues, I just think he can do a lot better. Uh, Wells hasn't been bad, but not a lot of strikeouts compared to uh, some of the other options out there. So I just don't think he makes the cut in terms of, of shallow or maybe even medium leagues. Two starts, you know, two good, uh, if you had two good matchups, maybe maybe it's a different story there. All right, well, I will bump Tyler Wells into the medium league streamers group right now. We'll just say Otto's the only shallow league streamer that really jumped off the page at a low roster rate. There could be some others. But... I get you don't want Otto to be alone, you know. Yeah, right. It's not fun to be in your own <laughs> tier for something like this. The other names in the, the medium league streams group, Adrian Hauser, who's rostered quite a bit more than all the other pitchers in this group at 38%, has to go on the road to face the Reds this time. But yeah, I'm afraid of the park. I'm not afraid of that current lineup. Even though there's a couple of hitters we talked about that we like, if they're still missing multiple regulars come next week, Hauser, I think, is around the line of a shallow league stream because of how bad Cincinnati has been and because of how banged up they are it's only the park giving me a second thought about it I'm curious if you would go Hauser ahead of Wells if you're trying to rank these guys as priority pickups you know what I'm going Wells ah see this this is how Wells got to where he was (laughs) yeah no makes sense if you if you if you can't have just one shallow league guy then I get it I there may be some others from this cluster I would would bump uh, ahead of, of Wells but not Hauser. And I wrote about Hauser in a, a column just a, a few days back. Uh, five players who have had just really bizarre statistical profiles through the first month. And I think it was on this show, DVR, a week ago, I made some comment about, well, you can trust Hauser because you know, if nothing else, he's going to get ground balls. Well, he hasn't been getting ground balls this year. Uh, not at all. He's And he's been giving up a lot of hard contact. And it just, I basically said he's the Darren Ruff of pitchers. Like Ruff has been just crushing the ball and it is absolutely not showing up in his stats. Hauser's been getting crushed and it has not been showing up in his stats. And it's just a matter of time, even against a really, uh, right now, very bad Reds lineup that does hit in a park where, uh, you know, maybe a mediocre hitter can can take him out. All right, so we keep him in the medium league group, and I think you've got Wells ahead of Hauser, yeah. even if you don't want to put Wells as close to Glen Otto as I initially did. How about Drew Smiley on the road at Arizona? This Arizona team is showing pop, but they're a largely unproductive three-true-outcome sort of lineup. It's kind of long ball or nothing for them. They do strike out quite a bit. They are below average in terms of actual offensive output, and Smiley, it seems like, might be pitching his way into your circle of trust. He is, and it's because Drew Smiley is the, is the new Adrian Hauser. <laughs> he actually mm. is getting ground balls, and the the contact that he's allowing uh, is is soft. So he's becoming that guy, and the the strikeouts are down. 
He's not getting, he's actually getting a lot of whiffs. He's just not getting a lot of freezes so far. And I think that's something that can, that can kind of regulate itself uh, and regress in a positive way. Um, but as long as he yet continues to, to be getting grounders and in, in the, at the rate that he's been getting them uh, at this point to me, I like Smiley a lot better than, than Hauser. And I would be inclined to put him in that group with Otto. All right, so maybe Smiley goes to the shallow league streaming consideration group. We bring Wells into the medium group. Wells ahead of Hauser, Smiley ahead of Wells, Otto ahead of probably everybody, maybe the most long-term value of the bunch. And then we get to Martin Perez, who I think you and I over the last three years doing podcasts have talked about half a dozen times at least because he'll go on a streak where he's pitching well or he'll surprise us in a really difficult matchup or maybe once in a while he tinkers and introduces a new pitch or something looks a little bit different more often than not when I look at Martin Perez I see more of the same I'm curious if you see something legitimately and sustainably different in the underlying numbers or the approach that would lead him to be anything more than a spot starter. The matchup is home against Kansas City. We talked about what the Royals don't do earlier in the show. I think he's fine for this matchup. I don't think I would pick him up with designs on keeping him. Is that a possible mistake? Well, I mean, you can always adjust <laughs> based on uh, how he does against the Royals. I, I do. I like him. I would you know put him on roughly a, a par with uh, Drew Smiley. You look at, I mean, the matchup is... Definitely easier than the last couple he's had at Philadelphia, at Houston. In both of those starts, he went seven innings, gave up just one run. That was against the Astros. And you were talking about, you know, Perez in the past going on some extended, you know, maybe for a few weeks, extended stretches where he he turns in really good starts consistently. He's, he's kind of building that right now. He has those two starts, Philly-Houston. Before that, he had a, a good matchup at Oakland, six scoreless innings against them. And he's just getting a lot of ground balls. And, and when Perez is going well, it's just a lot of soft contact. So no, I'm not seeing anything radically different from Perez. I'm just seeing the good version of him that we've seen before. Fair enough. So usable, but definitely not a go get them and hold them because things are totally different. I wanted to make sure there wasn't something I'm missing because I think when a player's been around as long as Perez and when we have expectations that come with being one of the more highly regarded pitching prospects back when he was going through the minors, there's always that little glimmer of hope. Like Matt Moore has this for me too. We talked about him, I think, on Under the Radar this week a little bit where you can try and talk yourself into it finally happening years later than expected with these these kind of post 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 hype sleepers or post 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 hype prospects i don't think that's where we're at with perez so use carefully um, and then of course there's rich hill every time i look at his roster rate on cbs it's lower than i expect seven percent rostered it is a road start against atlanta atlanta has ronald acuna jr back where are you at on rich hill where available is he in the mix of someone you'd at least consider if you're just looking for innings you know, you were surprised by the roster rate. I was surprised by the by the top line results that he's been doing as well as he's been. But the the peripherals are are pretty bad, so I'm just out on Rich Hill. Period. Fair enough. We can scratch him from this list. Maybe put him in the bottom of the deep league streamer consideration. I do think Vince Velasquez is worth bringing up on the show. A few weeks ago, when they made the decision, when the White Sox made the decision to use Vince Velasquez as their fifth starter over Ronaldo Lopez, when that spot opened up. I was surprised and with some curiosity of, I wonder what they see or what they've tweaked or, or why they're making that choice, just because I thought Ronaldo Lopez pitched really well when called upon last year, kind of working more in a swing role. And it's holding up pretty well so far for Velasquez. He looks passable in Eno's pitching model. I think he's just a tick above average across the board in terms of actual stuff and location and his overall pitching plus number. So uh, in that regard, I think there's some some reason to believe, and the results are starting to come around a little bit as well. His matchup for streaming purposes is against the Guardians, a team that really doesn't strike out that much, but he does catch them at home. Uh, so I'm just curious what you make of Vince Velasquez, because there's a little bit of what I was just describing with Martin Perez. We had some high expectations for him a few years ago. Injuries are a big part of why it hasn't happened yet. Uh, do you see enough there to become interested because I see a higher K rate than we see with Perez. I see a better walk rate than we've seen in recent years, at least from Vince Velasquez. And I'm starting to talk myself into this, maybe being something that can work at least in deeper formats. Yeah. I've been kind of thinking the same thing about Velasquez and, and yeah, greater risk, greater reward. 
than, than Martin Perez because you've got the the greater strikeouts. Now you've had the history of greater strikeouts, but you've also had the history of uh, a lot of home runs from Velasquez, you know, again, pitching in a park where that can be a real liability. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I think maybe he could even be bumped up a notch in, in terms of these categories. Um, and yeah, against a team like the guardians, maybe, maybe you're not getting a lot of strikeouts, but I feel pretty safe starting Velasquez in like a 14 team league. Uh, with that matchup, I'm surprised that when you look at the pitch mix and the velocity, not much has really changed for him, though. I, I would have expected an extra tick on the fastball or you know, more changeups or something to be a lot different, but it looks kind of similar to what he's been trying to do for the last two seasons, maybe just locating a little more consistently and, and getting some good early season results uh, from that. But um, he's gone from you know to yeah, maybe at the very least. And that's not a place I thought we would go with Vince Velasquez just a month ago. Uh, Alex Fido has a start at Oakland. Young Tigers pitcher, 3% rostered on CBS. Some prospect appeal there. Uh, What are you doing with him, given how good that matchup might be? I think it's still AL only for me, just because really the, the range of expectations is pretty great on this one. A lot of risk. A lot of options we're going through here and uh, ones that I, you know, I'd certainly feel better uh, with Velasquez, even though he's a pretty risky pitcher himself. And how about Jordan Hicks? The matchup is a home matchup against the Orioles, which I think is good. He's 31% rostered in CBS, so rostered more than the typical deep league streamer because of hope of getting saves earlier in the year and, and opportunities for him to start maybe have drawn some interest too because the stuff's never been the problem. It's always been the command and the consistency, and of course, staying healthy is a big part of the story for him as well. Where are you at with Hicks? Is he stretched out enough where you're starting to think about him in matchups like this, especially at home? Or do you still see this as a fun experiment, but one that's very likely to hurt you if it doesn't go well? I think it could hurt you. Um, I would be more likely to go with him than uh, Alex Fayetto, or, uh, but probably not not to the degree of Vince Velasquez because he does have the potential Velasquez does to go a little deeper into the start, give you, give you more K's, maybe a bigger chance of blowing up, but uh, I think I'd, I'd take that chance. So yeah, for me, Hicks is, is pretty far down on the list right now. Longest outing of the season for Jordan Hicks was his last time out on May 1st, three and a third innings, four K's, a couple of walks, a couple of runs. They were solo home runs that he allowed to that Arizona team. Shocker. That's how they score. They just hit home runs and do nothing else. But that's where I've been so far with Hicks, where it's like I, when I watch him, I'm excited because the stuff's nasty, but I just don't see him going five consistently enough where I want to actually throw him out there. I would actually love it if they committed to putting an opener in front of him. That would be something that would get me at least somewhat excited about him in deeper leagues because then you'd have a path to wins. I just don't think you have that right now, even though this setup is really good. A couple of two-start pitchers to get to. More for medium leagues, not really a lot of shallow league two-start pitchers. Bad schedule for two-start pitchers for the most part this week. We've got Austin Gomber at San Francisco, but then back home at Coors against the Royals, 32% rostered on CBS right now. And then we got Kyle Bradish on the road for two at St. Louis and at Detroit. Those are the only two that really jumped off the page as consistently available in 12-team leagues that I might actually think about picking up for the two steps. Uh, to me, uh, Bradish is a much, much better option than Gomber. Um, he's got a, I mean, not a, I wouldn't say a scary matchup, but definitely not a good matchup uh, in San Francisco. You know, we've talked about the Royals in, in relation to some other pitchers here and um, might not do a lot of damage, but uh, the Tigers are just a, a great matchup right now. So you figure, you know, Bradish at least gives you, you know, should give you a good start with that one. And Gomber, I mean... I, I know I've been a Gomber defender uh, for a good chunk of the last couple of seasons. Right now, he's got a 22.4 CSW. And yeah, some of his other peripherals look pretty good. And they can get you kind of talked into starting him with these two starts. I don't see, with this many starts under his belt, I don't see how good things can happen for a pitcher with the CSW that low. I think if I had to choose between the two, I'd be more comfortable using Gomber this week. If I'm chasing volume and my ratios are already kind of stuck on the the wrong side of the standings, I think 
I think I like Gomber more. I, I, th- I think with Bradish, I want to see him miss some bats before I start throwing him out there for two road starts. You know, I, I think the Orioles are right to stick with him, give him some opportunities, see how things go. Uh, but I think if I had to pick one up and activate him, Gomber would get just the slight lean for me. I like the four-pitch mix. I like that he gets one on the road. I know at San Francisco is where we got Gombard and got the T-shirts last year as part of a two-step. Disastrous. But then he ended up pitching really well yeah. when he was healthy from that point forward. So to me, slight, slight edge to Gomber. I I understand the appeal of Bradish long-term. I just think it could be a bumpy road to get there. Uh, Umberto Castellanos makes the cut for a deep league two-start pitcher. Home against the, Mar- uh, the, the Marlins. Home against the Cubs. 3% rostered. Everything we've seen so far, at least in terms of Eno's pitching model, paints him as this sort of location over stuff sort of guy. But I'm more willing to take a chance on that profile in these matchups, especially with both of these turns coming at home. I am too. And Cassianos is, is a pitcher who, whenever I see him come up uh, on the schedule, I you know I just have written him off because he allows so much contact. I just thought there's really no upside there. But yeah, I took note of the the really good start that he get, had against the Marlins this week. He gets the Marlins again next week. He also, also gets the Cubs, so two-start week for Castellanos. And I took a, a deeper look into the profile, and yeah, he allows a lot of contact, but he's second right now in terms of average launch angle on flies and pop-ups. So it, it's, I think we talked about Chris Young maybe on a recent podcast, or it's like a trivia question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess Chris Young, because Chris Young was kind of for a while there, like the king of of high flies and pop ups, and he would always have these like two fifty babips, amazing babips, yeah, that, yeah. Back when babip was king, yes. And Cassianos is is the same sort of pitcher. Um, so with a two step with matchups that don't really scare you, I think there's there's a lot to be gained there. Yeah, it's deep. Deep leagues, though, fifteen team mixed leagues. Oh yeah, at I mean, the it's most shallow. Team. It's yeah. NL only. It's more. It's more like that for Castellanos than uh, than yeah, the shallow 10, 12 mixed league. I mean, that's why we're talking about him at the end. I just want to be extra clear on yeah. that. But but there, but there is something there. Yeah, I mean, given that he's available almost everywhere, yeah, it's that's it's a relevant point. A clear pitch and ditch option for those deeper formats. Uh, two guys in the high risk category that when you compare them to. Castellanos or even Kyle Bradish, you kind of think, really? These guys are, are high risk and, and Kyle Bradish and Castellanos aren't? I'm just curious what you're doing this week in leagues where Michael Pineda and Kyle Hendricks are available. Pineda goes home against Oakland, home against the Orioles, and Hendricks is on the road twice at San Diego and at Arizona. What do you make of these two guys? Pineda, I'm just flat out avoiding, which just, I know probably seems sort of crazy. Uh, and I actually specifically went made the point in the waivers column saying, I actually would rather start Castellanos this week than Michael Pineda. Uh, mm-hmm. He is completely outside the circle of trust with two of the best matchups that you could imagine in a two-start week. Um, yeah, I, I just I don't see any upside there at all and a lot of downside. Hendricks, at least I could see in a, in a deeper league, just letting him roll... Um, if there's a lack of, of other options, but I could also, it wouldn't be beyond me to, to bench Hendricks this week. I think if I had to start one, I like Pineda better since it's two at home and they're both good spots. I think Pineda and Castellanos are closer for me. I, I think I'd even probably go Pineda over Castellanos. If I was trying to throw the hail Mary and max out innings and, and steal two wins. Uh, but this is, this is flying close to the sun. Yeah. As far as, Possibly damaging your ratios, and well, if you're flying close to the sun, probably your eyes as well. Uh, we should go to the closer corner here for a moment. Uh, I know interest in Ryan Helsley has been picking up recently, and part of that's that Giovanni Gallegos hasn't been his usual dominant self. So maybe the door is open for Helsley to emerge as a source of saves, depending on what happens there in St. Louis for the next couple of months. But what are you doing if you're chasing saves this weekend? Because I'm finding it to be another difficult weekend to throw darts that I'm excited about. Yeah, same here. So I think more just by virtue of the lack of options that Helsley, if you're going to throw some money uh, at, at potential saves, he's he's the best target probably right now. Uh, also, you know, maybe in Houston, just because uh, Presley's back, but, you know, his first game back wasn't a very good one. So who knows how that's going to develop. But then again, who's, you know, 
who would step in to share or take over saves if that were even going to happen. So I think kind of by default, uh, Helsley's the the one. And I have no expectation that he's going to become the sole closer in St. Louis. But, I, I you know, it could maybe happen. And if you can not have to, to throw too much of your, your fab budget after him, might be worthwhile. I, I think, you know, if I weren't really desperate for saves, I might actually look into just rostering Michael King because he's not going to give you saves, but he can still really help you with strikeouts and, and ratios with the way that he's pitching. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of names that when you when you look at this group, you, you just don't see clear paths. It almost take an injury over the weekend for some of these guys to become more viable. I think you're right to keep maybe holding in deeper leagues on the, the Houston alternatives to Presley. We want to see where that velocity goes these next couple of appearances. We want to see if he's effective. Uh, they could have to make a change. They gave him that extension, so I think they prefer that he's the guy and will give him plenty of chances to really kind of right the ship. Um, the other name that I think is is worth mentioning for Shadow League purposes is Devin Williams, only because you know, Josh Hader seems to be fine. The, the back strain that cost him a little bit of time shouldn't keep him out much longer or any longer. I just look at Williams as a clear-cut next guy up. It's really more for those shallow formats again. And he's pitched so well after a bumpy start. He's fine if you need to just plug him in as your last pitcher in some leagues. And I think that's something that occasionally gets overlooked. You sometimes have these short relievers that, um, that, that you don't think you can use un- unless they're getting saves. But I think Williams' skills are just high enough where you can get away with it once in a while. Well, maybe he's kind of the the midpoint between you know going after Helsley or going after a Michael King. This way, you, you kind of get the best of both. Somebody who's certainly going to help you with strikeouts and ratios, and can chip in with saves, even in the worst case scenario. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely with you there. A couple questions to get to before we go. Dusty would like our opinion on Zach Plesac. Is he a streamer or a keeper? Uh, streamer, maybe. Keeper, I would say, definitely not. And I think the streaming possibilities are, are kind of few and far between. Yeah, I think the problem we're seeing with Plesak, he doesn't miss enough bats. The control's not nearly as good as it was back in 2020 when everything was going right. And he's still giving up a decent number of home runs. So I think you really got to be careful with how you use him. Deeper league streamer for me is probably the the tagline on the Zach Plesak movie poster uh, at this point. Uh, one more question here. This one comes from Robert. In a 12-team 6x6 six six league, considering dropping Justin Turner for Ramon Laureano. Turner has a lot of blue on the Savant page and his weak contact has really turned me off. Is this a smart move for some cheap speed? So the question really boils down more to, are you comfortable cutting Turner if you're going to go ahead and try and add some speed with Laureano? I I get it. Um, I am personally not. And I think you can see my bias that first week of May, this is the third or fourth question we've had with a, a player that I you know, would have drafted like in the middle of rounds. And it just feels a little bit early, maybe by a couple of weeks for me to, to give up on a player who just doesn't, isn't putting up the, the numbers that we expected. So I would say a, a no on, on this. This one feels a bit like the fam Marsh question from a little while ago, where I look at it and I say, you actually could, you could do this. Like, I don't think you're making a tactical error giving up on Justin Turner. Part of the reason why the K rate is off the charts high right now for him relatively speaking, 21.3%. He's never struck out that much. 5.6% is the walk rate. That's the lowest it's been since he became a Dodger. So when he was a Met back in 2013, that was about as much as Justin Turner walked. Uh, The underlying numbers in terms of how hard he's hitting the ball, that's a concern. He's chasing more pitches outside the zone. I wonder if he's hurt. This, This is so broken so fast, it just makes me wonder if he's not healthy. And in a shallow league like that, if he starts to lose some playing time, the value can dry up pretty quickly. I'm also curious to see what the Dodgers want to do with Miguel Vargas, you know, one of their top position player prospects. He could maybe come up later this year and play third base if they're not happy with Turner. So I think we're closing in on a point where people are going to have to make decisions like this. You don't necessarily have to do it right now, but I think you can do it if you're in a position like the one Robert is in. So Another split. I, I just I feel terrible when we get asked yeah. a question and we're just on on opposite sides because it feels like it's uh, it's not very helpful. But at the end of the day, we want people to make their own decisions, and if there's a, a rational case to go one way or the other, we just hope to present that. So 
Uh, thanks to everybody who tuned in live. If you missed it live this week, 4 p.m. Eastern over on the Athletic Fantasy YouTube page each and every Friday afternoon. If you've got questions during the show, you can always drop those in the chat. We're happy to answer those. On Twitter, you can find Al at AlMelkyRBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Get a subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash podcast. If you have that, you can check out Al's written waiver wire piece each and every Friday. Al also answers questions there too. So uh, it's a lot of ground that we cover and plenty of other tools we have available and stories on the site that you could enjoy. A dollar a month for the first six months, really a great deal. So be sure to get that if you have not subscribed already. That is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Good luck with the waiver wire this weekend. We're back with you on Tuesday. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.